Good morning, good morning, good morning. How's everyone doing? Good? I said, let's give it up for Jesus in this house this morning. It's so good. Man, awesome, awesome, awesome. And I, we are a house of celebration. And talk about celebrating. Man, I want us to honor all of our greeters, our host team, all those that make coffee. Let's give it up for them. Man, you guys are rock stars. We appreciate all of you. Our parking lot team, all you guys, we love you, we love you, we love you. Y'all are awesome. And uh, man, we are getting ready to wrap up our last part of our Thought Attack series. How many guys have been enjoying the Thought Attack series so far? You guys been enjoying that? Good. If you haven't listened, maybe this is your first time, you can go back and check them out on our website. We've got our podcast, all that stuff. You can go to mytc.life to find out all the information about what we have. But we are wrapping up our Thought Attack series today. And Go ahead and take out your notes. We're going to jump straight into what we have for you. Romans 8, 1 and 6, 1 through 6 is our theme verse for the month. And it says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, which means for those of us who, whose life belongs to Christ, there's no condemnation for us. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Then it says, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit, right? For those that are living according to the flesh, their their mind is thinking about what their their flesh wants, what their body wants, what kind of their own personal desires, but those who have their minds set on the Spirit want the things of God. And it says, for to set the mind on the flesh is death. And that's not a temporal death, like you wouldn't just roll over and die tomorrow. It's a spiritual death. So to set your mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit, which is the the spirit of God, which is those things that come from the Holy Spirit, righteousness and and all those things. What What is the benefit of that? Say this with me. Life and peace. Now, we've asked this question every uh, week during this series, but how many guys could use a little more life and peace in your thought process, right? How many guys does your mind get away from you sometimes, right? How many of you? I've got, I've got this thing that I do, and I don't know why, but it's the, whenever I'm thinking, um, do any of you exaggerate circumstances in your mind to the extent you start thinking about what you were, would do if this happened? Anybody? Like, I think about, like, I think about... When I'm in line at Krispy Kreme, come on somebody, like, and someone thinks they're just going to jump in line in front of me. Now this has never happened, but I start to get angry about what I would do. Y'all know what I'm talking about? The hot light just turned on. They're about to get the business. Y'all know what I'm talking I'm just kidding. Totally kidding. Anyway, but for some of us in all reality, our thought life can get away from us sometimes. Anxiety, depression, kind of things we talked about. And in those weeks past, we talked about ways to navigate our thought life. Today, what I actually want to do is kind of put a lid on this series and kind of wrap this series out with the idea of how we should see God as our father and sometimes how how our earthly father has been to us may warp that perspective. But then I want to try to reshape it a little bit for you today. Is that okay? Good, because that's what we're doing anyways. All right, so... To start, what I wanted to show you is some pillars of fatherhood. Now, these are three pillars of fatherhood. These are the three ideas that fatherhood is built on, all right? So these are the three concepts. And this comes from Matthew 3 and Matthew 17. So if you ever want to look at the scripture where Jesus was baptized, and to give you some context, what happens is Jesus comes down, he gets baptized. The Bible says, then the spirit descended on him like a dove. And when he come out of the water, God said three things to Jesus. He, He said in one statement, he said, this is my beloved son with whom I love and with whom I'm well pleased, all right? 
And in that statement, he did three things. The first one is he created identification for Jesus. And so there's something special about your father identifying you. And there was always something special for me and even my dad, which I wanna, I wanna pause for a second and honor a man who's, who did all three of these things in an amazing way. And, and despite my past, and if some of you heard my testimony, you'd probably leave and go find a new pastor, okay? No, I'm kind of joking. Anyway, so, but if that were the case, but he stepped in and, and through living, living a godly life and being a godly example as a father, he did these three things. And I believe that is one of, in addition to the call of God, one of the biggest reasons why I am where I am today. So I want us to take just a moment and put our hands together and honor Pastor Dan and all of what he's poured into our life. He hates that. All right, so identification. And there was always something special about when he identified me, when he would say, you're my son. And my dad always had a saying when we were growing up. He said, it doesn't matter how much trouble you get in, I'll always be there for you. As long as you don't lie to me, I'll always be there. But if you lie to me, I don't know if I can trust you. But as long as you lie to me. Now, I put that to the test a little bit. Okay, so we try to figure out how far, how far will he be next to me. But anyway, so identification. For some of you fathers, this is an important step that maybe you haven't taken yet. You need to often refer to your children and let them know you're my, you're my son. And that's what God did to Jesus when he was baptized. Next, number two is adoration. Adoration. And showing him that he adored him. Showing love to him. So, and, and what God told Jesus is, this is my beloved son with whom I love. And there, society has tried to and made every attempt to rob masculinity from men by way of not showing affection. And can I say something? There is nothing more manly as a father than showing your kids what love looks like. I'm going to try that again because some of y'all, only at 30, y'all believe it. And they're all over here. I don't know what y'all doing. I'm just kidding. I said there's nothing more masculine than showing your kids what love looks like. And so adoration and then number three is affirmation. And it's the idea that I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. Now, listen, if your father's out there, these are, these are spiritual slash earthly ways that you can that are steps to help you in raising your children. Now, each one of them are, are drastically important. So here's what I say. Even if your kid is 35 years old, start this today if you haven't started it yet. And if your kids are young, jump in there and start this today. Because here's what happens. When they lack identification, when women lack identification and their father has yet to give them adoration and affirmation, they'll go find it in the arms of someone else. And that is the reason we have a generation of young women today who would rather be in the bed with a man than be adored by their, uh, by their heavenly father because their heavenly father and their earthly father, they can't make that connection. So they can't understand who God is well enough. Therefore, their value isn't high enough. And since they don't understand their value, they feel like they've got to get it in the bed of someone else. Okay? So then there's the fellas. And young men who lack identification can only find identification through one word, and it's called power. And the psychology of a man is built to where if he doesn't know who he is, then he has to boast up who he thinks he is. Therefore, his identification is found in the crippling of his father, not showing him what manhood looks like. Therefore, he thinks manhood looks like power. And how do you obtain power as a man? You become uh, powerful over those who are inferior to you, which is why you will see young men abusing young women too early in their life because they don't know who they are. And since they don't know who they are, they're going to show someone else who they think they are. Welcome to Psychology 101 today at Transformation Church. So, so what we have when we don't affirm and adore and identify our children 
is at best their failed attempts to do it for themselves. And so what we have to do as fathers is rebuild that. So I want to talk to you about five different kinds of fathers today. Let's look at that list real quick. There's five different types of fathers. It's in your notes as well. The first one is the absent father. Fathers who were never there. Fathers who weren't around, they just weren't, they, they weren't present. And I believe in this society, in this generation, there's a grow, that's a growing epidemic. Is where fathers just aren't present. Why aren't they present? Because they don't know what a father's supposed to look like. Because the last generation of men bought into the lie that masculinity was all about the Tim Allen way of life. Y'all know about Tim Allen? Oh, 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 oh. Like that, that whole mentality. That's what they associated masculinity to. Therefore, this next generation doesn't know what to do because they've dealt with absent fathers the whole life. The second one is the absent-minded father. And I believe this is probably the one that we deal with the most out of this last generation. A generation of fathers who were there, but they weren't really there. They were at the dinner table, but their mind was somewhere else. They were more committed to their career than they were committed to their family. So even when they got home, their mind was still at work. And the absent-minded father has created the illusion for especially for talking about those who believe in God but don't have a proper relationship with God. One of the biggest reasons why that is is because even though they believe that God exists the same way they believe their father existed, they believe that God is never present the same way their father was never present. So they've shaped God in their mind. And for some of you, this is applicable for you. You've shaped God in your mind around who your father was not rather than who your father should have been. So we have the absent-minded father, which is why you kind of see, how many guys have ever seen the drawing, like Christian drawings? You guys remember those things tr- called tracks? They were like this big, and they had like the Christian drawings in them. Anybody remember that? Anybody been saved long enough for that? Only six of us. All right, the rest of you guys, welcome to the party. Okay, so there, there were these little tracks, and they, every time they would draw God, he would be sitting on this throne, like this really big chair, and this light was shining from behind him, and he never had a face. It was always just this idea of God. And I believe that is what this recent generation of believers, that's how they see God. He's faceless and he's nameless and he's not someone you can really relate to, but you still know he's there. And a lot of that comes from the idea that our fathers were pretty much faceless and nameless, even though they were there. Next, y'all can do whatever y'all want with this. I'm just giving you the information. Number three, number three is one that is far more obvious and that is the abusive father. For some of you, maybe your father did this. and We're not going to dig way into this because we just don't have time. There's so many different types of abuse. There's obviously sexual abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse, all the things that could play into that different type of father. And that obviously makes relating to a heavenly father very difficult. Because when we say, just, just go to your heavenly father who loves you, that's really hard to do when the father that they've never had never loved them. You feel me? So... But we want to help reshape that today. Number four is the average father. The average father. And that's just kind of like, he wasn't really great, but he wasn't really bad either. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of like the Wendy's 99 cent menu. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'll take it, but, you know, I'd rather be a five guys. Anyway, so <laughs> five guys will be full right after this service. Everyone's going, meaty, cheesy, got three patties. Listen, anyway, so the average father. <laughs> And then next one, lastly, is the awesome father. I think I had an awesome father. I had a great father growing up. And uh, it was, we always had a great time. My dad was amazing. And uh, he was one of those dads that, you, like, 
He was, he, when he was time to be serious, he was serious. But it was time to joke. He could do it with, like, with the best of them. I remember we had a couple guys come over to the house. Anthony was one of them who was up here on the keys with us. And one of the, a couple of the other guys, Daniel, they were sleeping on the couch. It was July 4th weekend. So we had just like indulged in way too many hamburgers and hot dogs. You know what I'm talking about? Like that post meal. Like, uh. So we were at that moment. And so they passed on the couch. So my dad, it was hilarious. He went and got one of the big pots that you can boil like crawfish or crab legs or shrimp and stuff in. And he lit like 100 firecrackers in that bad boy in the living room right next to where they were sleeping. One of them used to run track. He came out of that sleep in a track pose like this. Anyways, we had a lot of fun growing up, but I think I had a great dad. He poured into me spiritually. He helped me emotionally. He showed me what a man looks like, how we should act, and he taught me how to lead my family, and so I honor one more time, Pastor Dan. I thank you so much. So, So let's get into it very quickly. John 3, 1, talking about, so how do we see God? How do we see our heavenly father? Just a few scriptures to bring that to context. First, see what great love the father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are, right? And, and what's important for us to understand that he's a father and that we're children of God. Maybe your father wasn't great. Maybe your picture of what fatherhood looks like isn't a good one. Here's what I want to tell you. If, you're, if your father was good, he's better than your father could have ever been. And if your father was bad, he's better than anything you could have imagined your father being. God is greater than and better than anything you can imagine. He's a father that loves us. And we're going to show you a little bit how in just a second. So he loves us. Next is Matthew 6, 26. It says this, look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns. Talking about how we, how humans do. But your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Talking about how we should see ourselves and how God sees us. Then John 1.12 says this. He says, but to all who received him, he gave them the right to be, say this with me, children of God. All they needed to do was trust in him to save them. In other words, throughout the Bible, there's a constant thread that God sees us as valuable and as precious. And and so he wants to love us as a father would love his children, right? So there's family benefits. There's great parts of being in this family. There's family benefits to being in a a relationship with God. And so let's look at some of this today. Number one, strength in your surrender. There's strength in your surrender. What do you mean by that? Well, There's a strength that comes from surrendering what you want and how you want your life to be to a God who knows better for you than you know for yourself. How many of us have ever had had some recommendations for God, right? Like, like, like God, it'd be really, if you did this, this, and this, it would be great. And then you found out about six weeks later, thank God that didn't pan out, right? For some of you, it was a relationship, right? Thank God you didn't marry that person, all right? Because God only knows, you see, you roll through Instagram like, oh, I just can't believe I dated that one. You know what I mean? Like, so that as we surrender to the Lord, we are actually putting ourselves in a position where we're giving the power back to the one who already holds it. But here's the best part. We're giving the power back to the person that can see the end of the book while we're still only on one chapter. In other words, I don't know what's going to happen today or tomorrow or next week with my life, but God does. Doesn't it make more sense to surrender to the one who already holds us in the palm of his hands? And since we've already seen that he's a good father in the scriptures that we looked at before, that means he wants good things for us. And since he wants good things for us, we can trust him. Am I telling you that everything's going to be perfect? Not always. Sometimes life goes off track from the way we would have it. 
But he's still a good father, and he wants good things for us. I'm not telling you you're getting a yacht tomorrow, okay? But if you do, I'll give you my phone number. You can call me. We'll hang out. You know what I mean? So there's strength in your surrender. 2 Corinthians 12, 8 through 11 says this. It says, God said, I am with you, and that is all you need. My power shows up best in weak people. We're talking about surrendering. And when we surrender, sometimes that puts us in a place of weakness. Now, I'm glad to boast about how weak I am. I am glad to be living demonstration of Christ's power instead of showing off my own power and abilities. Since I know it is all for Christ's good, I am quite happy about the thorn. Talking about his power, the thing that continues to plague him. I'm quite happy about it and about the insults and hardships, persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The less I have, the more I depend on him. How many guys know that to be true? The less you have, the more you're going, God, you're going to have to help me with this. This person, this coworker at my job, about to get it. I need just, you're going to have to, right? No, I love this quote. It says this, talking about surrender. It says, when we hold God to our standard of what's right and wrong, we give the enemy permission to feed us the lie that God was never with us are never for us to begin with. And how many of us have that, has that doubt ever started to cloud our mind? Like, man, God's not for me. God doesn't love me. He's not trying to help me. He's not trying to encourage me. He's not trying to get me through this. Sometimes we feel like God is even against us. And all that is, is us holding God to our standard of what's right. God, you didn't do this. And I really wanted you to do this. And since you didn't, I'm just, I can't believe you. I'm so upset. I'm so angry. What are we doing? We're holding God to our standard of what's right. In reality, if we'll relinquish what we believe is right, then we don't have the right to get mad and we find ourselves in that place of surrender, right? So there's strength in our surrender. Then there's freedom in our forgiveness. Freedom in our forgiveness. And there's two different kind of channels that we forgive, right? So there's two different areas that we forgive in. Number one is forgiving others. The next one is forgiving others. And as we forgive others, that becomes the difficulty, right? Now, how many of you have thought you forgave someone until you saw them? Right? Like, oh, I'm totally over that. Totally good. Scrolling through Facebook and you get a friend request for him. Like, declined. Not today, Satan. No, right? Listen, like, right? So, why? Because you may think you're over it, but you're probably not. You may think you're good, but you're probably not. You see him in Walmart, like, next aisle, boys, not today, right? Like, why? Because we still haven't dealt with it in our heart. And here's the reality. Oftentimes, not all the time, but oftentimes the person we really have to forgive, one of the people that really holds our minds captive is our earthly father. Damage that he's done that maybe you haven't dealt with yet. Maybe you've put it so far into the back of your mind that you would rather not think about it, but it is actually shaping who you are today. And there has to come to a place where whether it's your father or whether it's someone else that has hurt you, you come to a place of forgiveness because until then, you are the puppet and they're holding the strings. And you say, Pastor, I don't believe that. You don't have to, but see him in Walmart tomorrow. Or Target for some of you pinky out people. You know what I'm saying? Drinking your tea, Target. Anyway, so... But see them tomorrow and watch how your emotion, like the blood comes to your, like you get angry. Or all you have to do is think about what they did to you. 
And for some of you, it was real. I'm not taking away from pain that someone may have caused you. What I'm telling you is you do have to find somewhere in your heart to forgive them. And forgive them does mean letting them go, by the way. It doesn't mean forgetting, but it does mean letting them go. And we did a series uh, a few months back where we talked about what forgiveness is and what forgiveness is not. If you want to go check that out, I encourage you to do that. But you do have to find it in your heart to forgive. Even the Bible talks about it in Matthew 6. It says this, verses 14 and 15. He says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you. How many guys have had people sin against you? Done you wrong? Did you dirty? Right? You got to go back and work next to them tomorrow in that cubicle. Right? Just, uh, anyway, so if you forgive them, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive others of their sins, your Father will not forgive you of yours. So, what if, our, what if the condition upon our forgiveness is that we would forgive others? Man, some of us might be in trouble. Because I still got some people I'm dealing with. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I know all y'all are perfect. Y'all ain't got no people that do you wrong. You're just good. I know everybody, I'm just talking to me for a second. But how many of us will admit, I got some work to do in that area. I got to let some people, I got to let some of the pain, some of the struggle, some of the issues. I got to let some of that go. Here's why. Here's why. Your freedom it's contingent upon forgiveness, not theirs. When you let them go, what you've done is let yourself be free, not them. Forgiving them is about you, not them. So we forgive others. Then the next one is forgiving God. And sometimes this almost sounds like sacrilegious. For some people it sounds like, man, how, how do you forgive God? How many of us have ever been angry with God? Matter of fact, how many of us has what we wanted from God and him not giving it to us or doing it differently than what we wanted him to do has shaped our view of God and, and what we have to do. If we're going to see God properly, we're going to have to change how we see him. And if we're going to change how we see him, that means we're going to have to forgive him for the things that we wanted him to do that he never did or the things we didn't want him to do that he made us go through. Whatever that case may be, we're going to have to deal with that inside of our heart and forgive God. We're going to have to say, listen, God, I know that I really wanted this and you didn't come through. And I've been holding bitterness in my heart towards you, but I'm letting that go. Maybe for some of you, just like I'm dealing with right now, and if I'm being honest, I'm having to deal with this. And if, if you're new, maybe this is your first time here. My son, Jabin, passed away May 18th of this year. And talk about painful. And if I'm having to deal with any of it, it's this. Because... If I hold him to my standard of what was right, he let me down. But when I surrender to him, I actually find strength in that he knows what he's doing even when I don't know what he's doing. And we have to come to a place where we say, God, I'm giving this to you. I'm surrendering to you. And then I'm forgiving maybe others or maybe God in the process. Russ Ramsey has this quote. I love it. It says this, if my affliction was a severe, my affliction, my pain, what I had to go through, whatever that case may be, if my affliction was a severe mercy to awaken in me my need of God, then it's a wise gift from a loving hand. In other words, if what you went through is what it took to get you to God, then it was worth the pain. If what you went through was what God used to draw you closer to himself, to reveal to you your purpose, then the pain in the end will be worth it. Especially if we don't stack all our chips on what happens here on earth. 
when we realize that what happens here is merely just, it's a glimmer, it's a, it's a breath, the Bible, the Bible says, it's a vapor. In other words, it's here today and it's gone tomorrow, but there's an eternity that waits for us. That what we go through here is worth it in light of what we're going to see there. John, uh, Job 38 says this, and to kind of bring you full circle to where we're dealing with here, because we're talking about forgiving God. And we're talking about, essentially what we're talking about is forgiving our Heavenly Father. Now, if you know the story of Job, Job was a rich guy. He had a lot going for him, had houses, buildings. He had cattle. He had animals. He had money. He had gold. He had kids. He, like, he was just living the life. Job was living it up. And so, Job, uh, there comes a day and the enemy, Satan, is presenting himself before God. And Satan comes to God and he says, I've been looking all over the earth for someone to test. And God says, have you considered my servant Job? Now, I don't know about y'all. I'd have a bone to pick with God over this. Like, uh, hold on, wait a second. That was me last week. Better pick Peter or something. Not me. John Smith, somebody else. But what happened? He comes to him, Satan comes to God, and, and so God says, he's honorable, he's mine, he's a, he's a genuine follower of me, he loves me. And Satan says, okay. So he goes down, and literally at one time, he killed, all of his animals are killed, all of his kids are killed. Everything he has is taken from him. Even his wife says, curse God and die. And in, in, a, in a moment, everything is gone. Now, how about you? But I have a bone to pick with God over this. Because think about it for a second. The reason Job was tested was because God believed he could endure the test. Here's my question for some of us. What if the reason we're being tested is because God believes we can endure the test? We think God has forgotten us. In reality, God has recommended us. So he comes to him, and so over the next few chapters of Job, we see Job and his friends having a conversation about how, he, how this is not right and how he shouldn't have gone through this. And, and we see Job going through emotional turmoil, probably the same way some of us would if we had gone through something like this where we talked to our friends. And, and we're talking about all the things, how if, if, I, if, if I could talk to God, what I tell him is blah, 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 blah. Right? Like we just deal with our emotions. We go. So we see that through the next few chapters of Job. And finally, God steps in in Job 38, and this is what he tells Job, okay? So then the Lord answered Job out of the world and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? In other words, God says, Who is this person trying to give me recommendations but don't know what they're talking about? Then he says, Dress for action like a man. In other words, God was talking smack. Listen, if he said that to me, y'all would find me in a corner somewhere. Like, I don't want, I, no, I'm good. Nope. Just. But God's saying, stand up. You're gonna, if you have something to say, stand up. And this is my favorite part. He says, I'm going to question you now, and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? In other words, God is saying, where were you with, where, with words I spoke and the sun, moon, and stars came into existence? Where were you when I breathed and oceans separated from ocean and land masses came into play? Where were you when I created everything that breathes on this earth because I wanted to? Not only did I create it, it was my idea of what it would even look like. Where were you when my idea of the world came into existence? 
Can I ask you a question? For those of us that think we have recommendations for God, where were you when he created this world? And if, he, if the birds have something to eat, and if the animals have what they need, what more would our Heavenly Father give to his children? So we got to find ourselves in a place where we know we belong to a Father who can handle it all. Number three, there's blessings in belonging. Blessings in belonging. So there's strength in surrender. There's freedom in forgiveness, but then there's blessings in belonging to the family of God. Ephesians 2.13 says this, but now you belong to Christ Jesus. At one time you were far away from God, but now you have been brought close to him. Christ did this for you when he gave his blood on the cross. Psalms 139 says this, how precious are your thoughts about me, God. So the psalmist is writing in the Bible and he's talking to the Lord, how precious are your thoughts about me? And can I tell you something today for some of you that are in here and you've been dealing with the idea of not knowing how you should see God, you should see God as a father who thinks precious thoughts about you, who loves you, who who can't wait to show you uh, the, the affection that a spiritual father would show his children. What does that look like? He can't wait to give good things. He can't wait to help you. He can't wait to strengthen you and encourage you and sustain you. And I'm not talking about tangible things. I'm talking about in those dark moments where you feel like you can't make it, There's then there's that overwhelming rejuvenation. There's a joy that sets into your spirit in dark times. There's a peace that sets into your spirit during unsettled times. There's these things that only God can give you as a father, but he wants to give them to you, but he only gives them to his children. How do we become children? We have to put our faith in Jesus. That's what I said. Through what Christ did, we can become children of God. What does that mean? Through what Jesus did on the cross. So let's look at these daily self-talks and then I'll talk about that for a second. Daily self-talks. So at the end of each sermon, we've given you different ways that you can help in overcoming the thought attacks that plague your mind when it comes to these topics. So when it comes to how God sees you, we want you to understand this. Number one, remember your relationship. Remember your relationship. If Jesus paid the price for you to be able to experience heaven and to know God, not as some mystic figure that sits on a big chair, but as a heavenly father who loves you, then you're going to have to remember that that relationship is present even when your thoughts start to tell you that it's not. Next, you have to apply your acceptance. I remember how many guys grew up in the, you do the chores and you get the allowance era. How many guys, where are we at, where are we at? Listen, I don't know what's going on with these kids nowadays. They just get money for no reason, right? Just like, here's money, go spend it, right? So, but I remember doing chores, but I also remember how many guys ever like, you wanted to go do something special? I remember there was one point, I wanted to go to the arcade. Uh, the arcade, young people, is this place we used to go to play games. You would pay a quarter and you could play it for X amount of time and then you'd have to keep paying quarters. Uh, so it was, it was a big thing. Anyway, so I remember going to the arcade and so we, would, we came in and I came into the house and I cleaned the whole house, like spotless, you know. Uh, and so what I was doing was trying to earn favor from my parents so that they would let me go. You all with me? God's love doesn't work that way. For many of us, we're trying to earn the acceptance that God has already freely given us. 
In other words, what Jesus did at the cross already paid for your acceptance. All you have to do is step into it. So you just have to come home and you're accepted already. People think that we have to clean ourselves up before God can do something. Well, when's the last time you cleaned a fish before you caught it? In other words, God wants you to come home. He'll help you figure out what needs to happen in your life once he's got you, but come home. So you get to apply your acceptance. Then number three, replace your rejection. In your mind, in those thoughts, there's gonna come a moment where you reject the idea that God loves you, that he's for you, that he's a heavenly father, that, he's, uh, that his abundance is available to you. you. You start to reject that idea because there's no way my, the heavenly father could because of X, Y, and Z. Listen, I'm telling you right now that it doesn't matter where you've come from. All that matters is what God wants to do to help you where you're going. So replace your rejection. And then number four, present your position. Present your position. Now I told this story a couple weeks ago, but I wanted to tell it again because it was uh, it's kind of the same idea. Some of you remember me telling the story about Tom when I was a little kid, the kid that got me by the shirt collar. So we had just moved into a new church. Pastor Dan was pastoring a brand new church here in Pensacola. And, and so uh, we had just started. I was probably seven at the time, maybe seven or eight. And I remember I walked into the building and I walked past this guy who was about 16. And when I walked past him, he said, hey. He was like, hey. And I just ignored him. I just kept walking. And he said, so he reaches over and he grabs me by my shirt. He says, hey, I'm talking to you. And he pushes me up against the wall. And I was just like, hmm. And so he, he said, when I'm talking to you, you better listen. You better say something back. And right about time, my boy Darius was walking by. And so Darius is walking by. He's just doing his thing. And I said, hey, Darius. He said, what's up, man? I said, tell this fool who I am. And he said, that's Pastor Dan's son. <laughs> and Tom was like, oh, my bad. He started straightening up my shirt. He said, oh, man. He said, my bad, my bad. And I think some of us need to start doing that with our position in God. When the enemy comes into our mind and starts telling you, you're not this or you're not that, or whatever, he starts trying to lie to you, you need to start just presenting your position. Hey, man, I'm a child of God. Don't come at me like that. Y'all remember the not today? Like, mm, not today, not today. We need to start presenting our position. We need to start reminding the enemy who we actually are rather than believing who he tells us we are. We gotta start presenting our position. Where does our position come from? The cross and what's already been done on the cross. Every single thing that needs to happen on the cross that Jesus already did for you to be accepted, all you gotta do is step into it. So do you guys receive that today? Let's change how we see God and let's go ahead and give it up for him this morning. Awesome. Father, we love you today and we thank you. God, we thank you that we're already accepted. We don't have to do anything. We don't have to go anywhere. We don't have to accomplish any tasks to be accepted. You've already done, Jesus, you already did everything it was gonna take to get us here. So we thank you for that. We love you today. God, I pray you continue to change how we see you. That we don't see you through the lens that our earthly father may have built, but we see you through the lens of a heavenly father. We thank you today. We love you. If you're in this room today with everyone's head bowed and your eyes closed,
Maybe you're in this room and, and you think to yourself, man, I've, I've tried it my way. I've tried living life my way and I know there's something in, there's something in me that needs to change. There's, there's a different life. There's, there's something else that I need to do. I gotta change something. And, and, and you're saying, man, I, I, I believe I'm a good person and I know about God, but I know enough about God to know that my life, it isn't right with God. And I wanna change that today. I want, I want God to do something new in my life. And pastor, I'm here to say that I wanna give God my life. I've tried it my way. I've tried doing things. I've tried to accomplish the task. And maybe I've even tried religion. I've tried church attendance, but that didn't help. I've tried getting around different people groups, but that didn't help. And, and the reality is at the beginning of that journey, I didn't make the decision for Jesus to be my everything. But today I want Jesus to be my everything. I wanna give him my life. And if that's you today, I'm here to let you know that to be forgiven of your sins and to step into a brand new life, it doesn't take work on your part. It takes a free gift on God's part. And the free gift is that when Jesus went to the cross, he paid for your sins. And today, all you have to do to be forgiven of those sins is repent, which the Bible says we turn away. But then we put our faith in Jesus that when he went to the cross, he paid for those sins. And today, if you want Jesus to take control of your life, you wanna surrender your life to Jesus, here's what I'm gonna ask you. I'm not gonna to come to you. I'm not gonna embarrass you. I'm not gonna point you out. I want to pray for you today. And if that's you, you wanna give your life to Jesus, right where you sit, would you just raise your hand and say, that's me. I wanna give my life to Jesus. I wanna give him my everything. God bless you. God bless you. Once you put your hand up, you can put it back down. I told you, I'm not here to embarrass you. God bless you. God bless you. Hands are going up across the room already. That's me, pastor. I want God to give me a fresh start. I want him to give me a brand new life. I wanna start this journey over again. God bless you. Are there more that says, I want that. I want that. I'm tired of trying to do it my way. God, I'm ready to do it your way. Maybe you're watching us online and you're saying, that's me, pastor. I'm ready to for a new start. I'm ready for a new beginning, a fresh start. And I'm ready to give God my everything. Here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna pray a prayer. And if you prayed that, if you raised that hand or if you didn't, we're gonna invite you to pray this prayer with us, but you're not gonna pray it by yourself. The whole church is gonna pray it with you. Now this prayer doesn't make you saved. Your faith in Jesus makes you saved, but we're gonna put words to our beliefs. And we're gonna declare with our mouth that we're putting our faith in Jesus. So church, let's pray it with our brothers and sisters in the face. Say, dear Jesus, forgive me. Forgive me my sins. Forgive me my wrongs. Make me clean. Make me pure. Make me whole. I believe that you died on the cross. And I believe that you rose three days later through your life, through your death, and through your resurrection, I can be saved. So I wanna follow you for the rest of my life. I surrender, I forgive, and now I belong to Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. TC, let's put our hands together for all those that prayed that perhaps for the very first time. And we celebrate with you, awesome, awesome, awesome.